This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Off the Record is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to another bonus episode of Off the Record. I'm your host, Jordan Runtog. Thanks so much for listening. Our latest chapter followed David Bowie in the late 60s, a thrilling, colorful time when his creativity soared to new heights. After facing half a decade of near-constant rejection from the mainstream music industry, David had started to rebel. Instead of chasing pop hits, he embraced the avant-garde art scene that was beginning to blossom in London. He famously studied mime under the great Lindsay Kemp, crucial training that would enhance his skills as an evocative theatrical live performer. Another key figure in this period was Mary Finnegan, David's friend, lover, and, somewhat unusually, his landlord. Their meeting is a touching reminder of the open-hearted hippie ethos of the time. David had been visiting friends who lived out in the sleepy London suburb of Beckenham. Mary, a neighbor, heard David strumming his guitar and invited him in for a cup of tea. By the time their cups were cleared, she had invited him to move into the spare room of her apartment. It was a warm beginning of their creatively fruitful union. A journalist by day, Mary was deeply involved with the London underground scene, a vibrant community of artists and activists looking to shake the populace out of their spiritual complacency. Together, she and David formed a folk club at a local pub called The Three Tons, transforming the back room every Sunday into a mini haight ashbury or Greenwich Village coffee house. They took their cues from the arts labs, or alternative arts centers that had begun in central London, bringing their far-out ideas from the capital to the country. David soaked up the stimulating creative atmosphere. It freed his mind, innovative new songs began to pour out of him, some of which would find a home on breakthroughs like Hunky Dory and Space Oddity. More than just searching for his sound, David also sought his spiritual path. He and Mary were both deeply immersed in Tibetan Buddhism and meditation practices. David had studied under the Lama Shime Rinpoche and spent time in a monastery in Scotland. He briefly considered becoming a monk, but ultimately, the music won out. 
Mary is still a writer and still passionate about Buddhism. She most recently published a book called Sex and Violence in Tibetan Buddhism, The Rise and Fall of Songyal Rinpoche. She also recorded her electrifying period with Bowie in a 2016 memoir, the perfectly titled Psychedelic Suburbia, which I highly recommend. I was lucky enough to speak with Mary recently. I'm grateful for her time, her help, her memories, and her meditation advice. I hope you find it helpful, too. I guess just to begin, tell me about yourself in 1969. You're living in Beckingham, working as a journalist. Uh, how involved were you with the emerging alternative culture? Very involved. <laughs> I was an absolutely mainstream journalist in 1968. Um, I happened to get caught up when I was undercover investigating uh, the drug scene in London, I got caught up in a bust and I had a very small quantity of, of dope on me in my handbag, which I immediately handed over to the cops and um, explained why I was there. But it was 1968 and nobody really understood what was going on at the time. The place where I was had a very large dealing scene with kilos of everything and thousands of LSD trips. So I was kind of lumped in with these. And I think when I finally came to trial, the judge and the lawyer that I had originally briefed on this simply didn't know what they were dealing with. And they couldn't tell the difference between a 35 millimeter film canister of grass and the kilos of hashish that were found in that house. So I was given a nine-month prison sentence, of which I served nine weeks before I got an absolute discharge on appeal, before I went to jail, and during and after. I'd made a lot of friends in the Notting Hill Gate, West London, North London, alternative scene, which was just emerging into all its glory in those days. The freaks, the hippies, the wonderful psychedelic era, yeah. Um, they were much more interesting than anybody I knew in journalism. Much more fun, much more exciting. And so when I came out of prison, I was offered a job at the Sunday Times and I was offered one at the Daily Express. And um, the Sunday Times was fashion, which I didn't want to do. And the Dead Express was feature writing, which I thought would be okay, but which actually turned out to be gruesome. And I lasted about more, maybe six months. And after that, I just said, no, thank you. I can't do this. And so I went freelance and basically took a five-year holiday from the five-day week. And I was... By that time, very well immersed in the psychedelic culture. One morning, I mean, this is all in the book. I was sitting on my patio, in my ground floor flat, um, having ingested um, some tincture of cannabis. And I heard this wonderful music playing from the top floor flat, which had a window open. It was March, and the, the weather was quite balmy for that time of year. And um, I sort of called up and said, who's that singing? Playing some very interesting chord changes on the guitar. I thought, this is not your usual strumming three-chord amateur. 
and um, this sort of pale, slightly snotty-nosed head poked <laughs> out of the window with a halo of long curls around it and said, it's me, I'm David, how are you? And I said, I'm Mary and I'm fine and I like your music and would you like to come downstairs and try my tincture of cannabis? So he did. And we had a very nice time together, talked a lot and found that we had a lot in common. And um, in a fit of sort of spontaneous generosity, he said, I've got a spare bedroom. Um, do you like to move in? And he was living with his parents after having split up with his girlfriend, Hermione. Um, and so he said, yes, please. And so a couple of days later, he turned up on the doorstep. How did his arrival alter your life? I know in your book you said he didn't exactly travel light. No, no, no. Um, initially, it was just him and a case or rucksack, whatever, and a 12-string Gibson, yeah, which I think he'd been gifted by Pete Townsend. And about a week later, there was a knock at the door and there was a friend of his with a truck parked outside. And the friend unloaded um, some large speakers, some amplifiers, a couple of tape decks, some mic stands, <laughs> and various other boxes of wires and gizmos and pebbles and you name it, into my hallway to the extent that my kids couldn't actually get from their bedroom to the loo. Um, now, this caused a little bit of consternation in the family unit because basically, although I was very alternative at that time, I was also very bourgeois in the way that I made sure that the kids had a proper family life and that they went to school and got fed and that their needs were met. So this created a bit of a problem because really, you know, all this stuff certainly wouldn't go into his room which was actually quite small. So we had to have a conference and it went in what used to be the dining room, which was now a sort of chill-out room um, with mattresses and cushions and a small low table and a big hi-fi and a lot of records. Um, and there was some room in there, so the rest of it went in there. It just, I mean, he had an incredible knack of being able to take over <laughs> without actually making me feel resentful. Yeah. A very charming person indeed in those days. I was entranced by him. And the kids liked him too, so they adapted very quickly to this change in our circumstances. And they thoroughly enjoyed it. And David was very productive and he spent a lot of time writing songs and working them out and playing them and then saying to us in a sort of slightly diffident manner, um, hmm, I've got a new song, would you like to hear it? And the answer was always yes, please. And the end of it, it was always, wow, that's rather good. Um, so it was fun. It was really nice. Are there any songs that you hear now and you think, oh my goodness, I, I remember hearing that when it was just a germ of an idea. Wow. Yeah, that does happen. But you see, I don't listen to that very much nowadays. Mm. Um, I have to confess that I'm not a huge Bowie fan. There's a lot of his music that I really like, um, particularly the early albums. 
Um, not the first one, but the one he wrote when he was living with us, and Hunky Dory and The Man Who Sold the World and the Ziggy. I like all those. Um, but then after that, I really kind of, you know, mm, I don't know what it was. There were some wonderful songs. There were individual tracks that I liked. But I was much more a Bob Dylan, Grateful Dead, Birds, West Coast, um, The Who, The Rolling Stones, The Beatles, all that psychedelic era. That was much more Crosby, Stills, etc. Um, all of those were the ones that I really loved. I mean, I absolutely, totally admire David Bowie's expertise in all areas of his career. I think he was a genius, and there's no question about that. But it's whether it actually, that particular way of presenting things fits the individual. You know, music's very particular. And for me, it doesn't. When you knew him and were listening to him writing songs, did you think that he was destined for, for you know, what was to come, this the superstardom to come? Or was that not even, you know, on anyone's radar at that point? I was certainly not on wine, but I did realize that he was a very talented musician. And um, as you probably know, we started a folk club together at the local pub on a Sunday night. And as soon as he started doing that, because he didn't have any gigs, and he didn't have any money. Well, he had a few gigs, one or two. And my 12-year-old daughter roadied for him once <laughs> when he was doing a gig. Um, I, You know, I, I, I blagged her off school for the day. Um, but um, it, he had a lot of time to prepare for the Sunday nights at the Three Tons Pub. And he made a very, very good job of it. It was totally professional. And um, the people that he invited to sort of do the headline thing, he always did a long set and he compared it. Um, uh, and uh, it was it almost instantaneously wildly successful. And we turned it into a psychedelic happening in the back of a pub on Beckenham High Street. And if you're, I don't suppose you know Beckenham, the typical South London suburb, and um, deeply boring, really. So this was something that the um, local community, and particularly the young ones, were absolutely entranced by and loved it. And it was from about week three, it was absolutely jam-packed. You couldn't get in the door. And David and I initially did it to earn a little bit of money but we were sharing it with the couple in the upstairs flat where we were friends of his and of mine. The four of us did it together. So we were not actually getting more than, you know, basically drinks money and maybe a little bit over for some food, but certainly nothing spectacular. And then at a certain point, I said to David one evening, do you think we should turn the folk club into an arts lab? And he said, hmm, not a bad idea. Because he was a polymath. He wasn't just a musician. He was an actor. He like he did all the posters for the Sundays, most of them anyway. And he had a you know interest in the visual arts, 
So, and poetry and literature, he was very open and curious. And I think that was one of the most remarkable things about David throughout his life was his insatiable curiosity for new forms of inspiration and pleasure. So anyway, we asked the audience at the next Sunday night, would you like this to become an arts lab? And they all stood up and cheered and said, <laughs> yes. And the conservatory became a showcase for all the local artists, poster makers, puppeteers, beads and jewelry and books and, and prints and paintings and absolutely everything you could think of. And people came and stood up and because you know the folk club tradition people just turn up and say can I do a couple of numbers and everybody says well yes of course and if they're any good they can come back if they're not they can't basically I think between June and October November 1969 it flourished and not just the young people but all of Beckenham ended up being drawn into it because we used to do street theatre on a Saturday morning through the high street when everybody was doing their shopping. So we were unavoidable. <laughs> right, these really weird, bizarre people dressed in very strange, very strange things in a very, very conservative suburb. And then we did the free festival in August. And um, it was the most beautiful day that anybody could possibly experience. It was magical and wonderful. And you may know David's song, Memory of the Free Festival. Mm -hmm. Do you? Yes, I do. It was a beautiful song. He was not very happy because his dad had died a few days earlier. So he was in deep mourning because he loved his dad very much. He was grief-stricken. Um, but he played, you know, he was a thorough professional and he did his job. And um, nobody would have known when he was on stage. But when he was not on stage, he was a very grumpy and unpleasant person. Um, but we all knew why. And we certainly didn't hold it against. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. 
Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. How did you first come to write your book? How did you decide the time was right? It was really... um, (laughs) I was talking to Angie at one stage, I think on Skype. And this is Angie Bowie, David's future wife that you're friends with. We've been through periods when we've been good friends, and we've been through periods when we've not really wanted to know each other yet. At the moment, we're on a good friend one. Um, I said to her, don't you think we should record the time in Beckenham? Because it was so unique. And it was really the crucible where... David refined his talent. It was the Arts Lab where he first acquired a following and made that following stick with him and make it grow. And, of course, it was while he was still living in Beckenham that he made his breakthrough with Ziggy. And Angie said, yeah, not bad idea, what do you want to call it? And I said, it would have to be psychedelic suburbia. And she immediately went off the idea because um, to her, it was not the, the, the arts happened, the psychedelic stuff that happened before she came on the scene. She did overlap with it. It was the time when she was there and they were all living at Haddon Hall. And David wrote Man Who Sold the World and um, Hunky Dory. They didn't sell very well. They sold, but not brilliantly. And then Angie and Freddie Buretti between them and David with the music, they actually created Ziggy. And it was Angie's styling that made that happen. It was her way of, you know, just being a little bit more outrageous than anybody else around. (laughs) And um, that's the story of Angie's life. So the idea that I wanted to focus on the the, the outside period didn't really work for her. So she said, no, it's your idea, you do it. So I did. And I thought, okay, there have been an awful lot of Bowie books, but nobody has really gone into detail and recorded the time when he moved from Bromley to Beckenham and then onwards and out into the big wide world. So I'm going to do the Beckenham Arts Lab and that period and I'm going to make a sort of chronicle record of it so that it's there. And that's 
why I did it, mostly because it was being ignored. Most of the books and most of the movies, most of the documentaries just edited out the art club. They barely mentioned it. It was just seen as kind of like, oh, well, you know, he did a hippie thing for a bit and moved on. It was not like that at all. And so it really discredits it. So I thought I'd put it on record. So that's what I did. And it's been a very interesting time since that book was published because it got massive publicity because it was before he died. I was in huge demand um, to, you know, do interviews on the day that he died. It was one of the most intense days of my entire life. Um, but the book is a record of a period which, to me, has got more significance than pretty well anything that happened since. Do you remember the, the, the last time you saw him? Yes, I do. Yes. It was the party that they gave at Haddon Hall after the Earl's Court Ziggy concert. And it had morphed. He'd morphed from being, you know, a, a lad from the suburbs into a major rock star. And the people who came to that party were exactly the sort of people that you would expect, right? <laughs> Musical executives. <laughs> The glitterati, and they were awful. I mean, I just I hate being around those people. I mean, insincere, yachty yak, blather blather, flatter flatter, you know, darling. And I, you know, I enjoyed the party. It was really quite good fun. And then when it came time to leave, um, David was wearing his Ziggy costume. Yeah, um, he walked to the front with us, with his arm around my shoulders, and he said, oh, you're a wonderful woman, Mary Finnegan, I'll never forget you, and gave me a kiss and a hug, and that was the last time I ever spoke to him. Is there a memory that you think of with David that still makes you smile or laugh to this day? I suppose the seduction was probably the most entertaining bit. Um, it's what sticks in my mind, um, because I knew that it was going to go there, yeah, before it actually did. <laughs> and I was very, yeah, I was totally willing. Um, um, but he did it so beautifully. Um, I'd done a, a shift at the Sunday Times and I came back and I was always quite tired because it was very full on. And he had cooked supper for me, a very, very nice supper, which was extremely rare. He normally you know, I always did the cooking or the kids threw something together. But he'd cooked a very lovely supper for me with a nice bottle of white wine and a couple of nice spliffs. And then we went into his room and he'd put cushions on the floor um, in a sort of nest, yeah. And he put these two big speakers, one either side, of me and settled me into this and then played me his favorite music through these enormous speakers. And I remember the, the one piece that really got to me was Jimi Hendrix and the phasing. I can't remember which album of 
appendix it was, but when it went goes all the way around the room from one speaker to the other and then back again. And I was absolutely, I'd never heard that before, but really good stereo. And yeah, so yeah, one thing led to another, obviously. That was the, you know, the seduction. It was delightful. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you could give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. I wanted to ask you more about uh, David's devotion to Tibetan Buddhism because it, it sounds like that was a significant part of his life around this period. And I know in later years it was said that he considered taking his vows and going up to the, to the monastery in Scotland and becoming a, a monk. I'm not sure how true that is, but... It's true. We talked about Buddhism quite a bit during our fireside chats, which were went on into the wee small hours. He had definitely was, as always, I think, you know, um, ahead of the curve in that he was interested in Tibetan Buddhism before it became trendy, before it caught on. And he met this lama called Chimi Rinpoche, and Chimi talked to him meditation and introduced him to Tibetan Buddhism. 
and David took it very seriously. Before I had any knowledge of him, he had been to Samuel Ling in Scotland, which was the first Tibetan center in the West, and he had stayed there for quite some time, and I think the idea of becoming a monk, becoming ordained, had crossed his mind. He certainly mentioned that to me, um, but he never really shook off the music, and he said it interrupted his meditation. It was with him when he was out walking, and at a certain point he realized that he wasn't being true to himself, and so he just went back to London and picked up his career. And that was before I met him, but I think it was quite soon before I met him. And we talked about it a lot, and it was already resonating for me, because um, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, the Bardo Thodol, to give it its correct title, was kind of required reading amongst the psychedelic elite. I had already read it and thought that it was magnificent and was interested anyway, and I'd done a bit of Zen meditation, so I was very interested in what he had to tell me about this, and I read up a lot more, and I met Jimmy. Jimmy came and did a gig with us in the Bromley Arts Centre, um, where we had one sort of avant-garde ensemble who played it the three times they played and then Chimmy gave a talk on Buddhism and this was a very posh very very beautiful um, house with a garden around it and sort of parquet floors and a, a grand piano and you know gilt chairs it was all quite proper um, but we managed to pull it off <laughs> which was quite surprising considering that you know by that time <laughs> the three times was a ramble <laughs> but anyway it worked and we were invited back meditation is something that i've really struggled with i want to incorporate it into my life and maybe people listening do too but i really struggle with stopping my mind and stopping the thoughts and just quieting everything down how do you transcend that do you have any advice for people just starting out and really struggling with meditation? It's perseverance. You mm. really have to be very kind to yourself and not get frustrated by the thoughts as they arise. Um, and the what seems to work for me is that you have to be aware of where the thought comes from and where it goes to. And without giving too much away, because you don't want to give people preconceptions about what to expect. Once you understand that, that there's really nothing, where does it come from? Where is it going to? You know, there ain't nothing. There's nothing there. They have no solid form. They do not have a base and they do not have a destination. So once you get the hang of being a little bit more observant of the thoughts, because they will always be there, but you will begin to be able to um, access the gaps between them. Yeah? And that's when it starts to get interesting. It's where you find that meditation has some value because suddenly that mental chatter slows down a lot 
and you get a sense of calm and you understand how it's possible to access a different level of energy and it gets to the point where you want to be able to do that more effectively and then you need a really skilled and experienced teacher because very few people can take it any further than that without help because it is down to the skill and experience of the teacher to um, guide you through those processes because it's very easy to say, oh, I can't do this, I've got too much of a busy head, you know, um, and most people have. Um, but eventually it is possible to have a much less busy head and the value of that becomes very obvious when you get the hang of it. Um, now, if you wanted to take this a step further, I would suggest looking up taramandala.org. And it's run by my friend Sochim Alioni, um, Lama Sochim, in um, a place called Pagosa Springs in the San Juan Mountains in Colorado. And I don't know anybody who is better at helping people to get started and be motivated than Sultrim. Thank you so much for sharing that. Speaking of people's spiritual journeys, what do you think David was looking for in his spiritual practices? And his music, which I'm sure is an extension of his spiritual practices. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, the borderline between art and and and. and contemplation is so fine. It's like a fine membrane. I think that David was always looking for something that was so far over into the left field that accessing it was a new inspiration. I, I think he went through a period in his career when he was very repetitive and, and really didn't bother too much. He just churned out a whole bunch of stuff, more or less, you know, because that's what you do uh, when you're a famous rock star. Um, but some of his work, I mean, you can tell from the nature of it that he is really exploring an extraordinary range of dimensions. Things Very influenced by space, travel and the cosmos and very influenced by human quirks and idiosyncrasies and left field. I mean, Lindsay Kemp was a huge influence on him and very much beloved. And I, I adored Lindsay. I met him through David and we became very good friends. Lindsay was absolutely, totally right out there on the sort of leading avant-garde edge of art. I mean, he was a mime, and but he was a dancer. He was just a holy and a absolutely, totally inspirational person. I mean, I found Lindsay sort of operated in the way that he inspired people and the way he got through to people in a very similar way to the Lamas. He was definitely of a different league, a different order. And I think that David was too, actually. Um, I don't think there are many David Bowies ever incarnate at any particular moment. I think they're very rare. 
Off the Record is a production of iHeartRadio. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done.